Welcome to Reader, I Murdered Him, a real podcast about fake crimes. Every week, I'll tell you about one of my favorite books, but like it's true crime. This podcast isn't spoiler-free, so listen at your own risk. Everyone knows the name Anna Victoria Alcott. Whether you grew up with her as the lovable blonde witch on Spellbound, which tragically only ever had one season, or if you came to know and love her after her Oscar award-nominated role in The Auteur, or her later roles as director and producer for countless award-nominated films, anyone who's been paying attention to pop culture knows who she is. But there's one story Anna Victoria Alcott rarely brings up anymore the story of how she became pregnant with her daughter, Siobhan Alcott, a daughter we can all tell Anna adores, but who she went through hell to have. Literally. Because while undergoing IVF treatments with the New York City fertility legend Dr. Hill, Anna attracted the kind of attention no celebrity wants, from trolls taking to the internet to say Anna didn't deserve to have a child, to masked figures breaking into her house and her computers to collector's item dolls of hers showing up where they shouldn't be, each more mutilated than the last. Anna had a reason to be afraid for her life. So how did she go from the haunted and hunted ingenue to the fearless mother and powerhouse producer that she is today? Are the rumors true? Did Anna Victoria Alcott make a deal with the devil? Well, in this story, nothing is quite what it seems. I'm Risa P., And this is the survival story of actress Anna Victoria Alcott. Anna Victoria Alcott was just coming into her career in ways she'd never expected were going to happen for her. A lot of young women hope to become stars in Hollywood. A lot of pragmatic ones settle for being able to make a living off of their acting. Anna had started her career with a velocity she thought would take her all the way to the top. She was cast in the leading role of Spellbound, a family-friendly show about a witch similar to the Melissa Hart version of Sabrina. But unlike Sabrina, Spellbound just didn't have the staying power. It received high reviews, But it took Anna a while to really feel her character. While she did a good job in the early episodes, she didn't come into the charisma and charm a sitcom lead needs to carry the show until the later end of the season. While no one told her it was her fault the show was cancelled, the weight of that cancellation and all the jobs that were lost because of it was something Anna carried with her onto every other job she'd ever booked. And the jobs she booked after that weren't great. She'd been given her shot at stardom, and it seemed, flubbed it. From then on, it was always secondary characters. The supportive best friend, the sister, never the lead. But to her credit as an artist, Anna never treated these roles as any less than her single starring role. She threw herself into every part, and she grew in her ability and confidence and she caught the eye of the director for a small indie film called The Auteur. 
Viacher, when it came to her, did not seem like a big break. It was an indie film with an almost insignificant budget, with a plot that was a little convoluted and slowly paced. But something about it connected with Anna, and everyone else involved in the project. And what they ended up creating was something beautiful. Something that received standout recognition at every indie film festival, and ended up speaking to the mainstream population in a way no one had suspected. This small indie film turned into Anna's second big break as the studio scrambled to set up press tours and award lobbies. Anna even ended up being nominated for an Oscar, an achievement she'd long thought was out of her reach. But there was something Anna wanted even more than stardom. The chance to be a mother. This is not a dream all Hollywood actresses, or all women, share. But for the ones who do, the desire for a baby can turn into something else pretty quickly. It can turn into an all-consuming hunger. A need that blocks out everything else, takes priority over everything else. And Anna was obsessed. While working her way up her career, having a baby was not a priority for Anna. In fact, it was something she actively avoided. But now, nearing 40, Anna was realizing she didn't want the opportunity to have a baby to slip her by, and she was running out of time. But pregnancy, when you've hit what doctors so generously call the geriatric obstetric years, is not something that always happens easily or naturally. And Anna, with the support of her husband Dex, was on her third round of IVF. She hadn't anticipated the auteur to take off like it did, and she'd planned to take a leave of absence from her career so she could give her IVF the kind of single-minded focus she was sure would call her baby into being. But now she was busier than ever, and trying to look glamorous with a body that was swollen and bruised and exhausted. But when she finally goes through an implantation that works, Anna becomes fiercely protective of her tiny baby. And if you followed Anna Victoria Alcott for a while, you know that she tries to maintain her privacy and rarely posts to social media anymore. She had issues with stalkers in the past, even some who would look through her photos for clues as to where she was vacationing or where she lived, and then message her with exact addresses and threatening messages. Police were rarely helpful in cases like these, assuming that the messages were just harmless pranksters or fans who'd gotten obsessed but wouldn't actually do anything dangerous. Not exactly reassuring. So Anna wasn't taking any chances with her pregnancy. She didn't post about it online. She doesn't talk about it in any of her interviews. She is going to keep this baby a secret for as long as she can. But that doesn't stop people from finding out. And that's what takes Anna's story from one of a hard-won pregnancy to the survival story that it is. Because as soon as Anna saw that pink line form on her pregnancy test, she became the latest woman to be caught up in something more paranoid reporters might call a conspiracy. And while it isn't known whether this not-quite-conspiracy has led to any deaths, it has certainly left many of the women who become entangled with it broken. As Anna Victoria Alcott is about to find out.
The signs and symptoms start small, almost impossible to tell apart from the usual symptoms of pregnancy, where your body is so overloaded with hormones and exhaustion, it's like learning how to function in a body all over again. Except you're an adult with adult responsibilities you are not allowed to let slip. Anna starts by having bad dreams. She forgets things, even important things like to refrigerate some of her fertility medicine or appointments with her doctor. Anna tries to do better, but it always feels like there's something working against her. So much so, Anna begins to get paranoid and convinced that she's being followed by a woman in a blue baseball hat. And then one night, Anna falls asleep only to wake up to someone in her bed, someone who shouldn't be there, reaching their arm around her stomach and muttering something that sounds like baby. Now, at this point in Anna's story, she stops sharing almost anything that isn't PR-related on social media. However, a receptionist at the fertility clinic she spoke with, as well as another woman who Anna spoke to later in her pregnancy, were willing to come forward with details about the case because they still believe Anna may be in danger, and that her story may prevent other women from falling into a similar trap. Because at this point in her journey, Anna's story begins to cross the line from coincidence to terrifying. After the break-in, Anna and Dex move out to Southampton, not telling anyone where they'll be so Anna can focus on her pregnancy without worrying about stalkers. She hires herself private security, a man named Kamal who seems to take the threats against Anna's life seriously. In fact, Kamal seems to be one of the only people in Anna's life who doesn't think she's going crazy, but genuinely being threatened. And while at the Southampton house, the threats don't stop. Although the online threats slow down after police confront the most vociferous of Anna's detractors in person, a 17-year-old girl who simply decided to post the threats on a dare and see how much attention she could get for herself, the in-person threats, however, get more creative. Anna begins to find dolls of herself from the Spellbound series, each with a new deformity. One with an X'd out belly, one with all its hair pulled out at the roots, another with a bloody mouth. And slowly, Anna begins to manifest each symptom the dolls illustrate, starting with what Anna believes is a miscarriage. When the bleeding starts, Anna doesn't want to believe she's lost her baby. And when she's visited in the hospital room by an ultrasound tech with bright red lipstick, Anna doesn't think anything of it. Except that ultrasound tech doesn't work at the hospital. And when the doctors confirm there is no longer a fetal heartbeat, Anna is convinced that this woman and whoever else has been harassing and threatening her throughout her pregnancy must have caused it. So Anna turns to the only person she can trust, her best friend Siobhan. Siobhan was an actress Anna looked up to who she met at an awards dinner and realized was even nicer in person than she had imagined. Siobhan took Anna under her wing, helping coach her through some of the more insider bits of the business, and was there for Anna like a big sister, not only for her career, but through her marriage and her struggle with infertility. 
When Anna calls Siobhan, the older woman is heartbroken for her. And when Anna asks if there's any way Siobhan can somehow get her her baby back, Siobhan says she'll see what she can do like it's something she can actually control. But the next day, Anna wakes up to feel her baby kicking. Siobhan, however, has been hospitalized and put into a medically induced coma. And while you have to admit the timing is a little strange, it can't be anything but a coincidence. Unless you're talking to I.O. Preacher, a dark web conspiracy theorist Anna has become more and more obsessed with as her pregnancy has gotten more and more bizarre. From craving dead raccoon to coughing up inhuman teeth, Anna knows something about her pregnancy just isn't right. But no one believes her. Except for I.O. Preacher, who believes Anna has been targeted by the same satanic cult that targeted her when she was pregnant. And while there is no solid evidence tying both Anna and Io's pregnancies together, their stories are shockingly similar. When Io was young, she was desperate for money, value, for life. Things hadn't been easy for her. And when a friend comes to her saying someone was offering $10,000 cash for a young woman willing to work as a surrogate, Io can't pass up that kind of money. But then during her pregnancy, strange things start to happen. She craves roadkill. In fact, the thought of other food makes her absolutely sick. She starts having strange dreams and feels like she's constantly being watched. Her body feels as though it's been taken over by something inhuman. Her hair falls out and her body breaks out into strange rashes. Just like Anna. But while it feels good for Anna to have someone to commiserate with, Io doesn't have any answers about what's really happening to Anna and if there's anything she can do to stop it. And then Anna goes into labor. Dex is driving Anna to the hospital and loses control of the car on the icy roads. The car flips and Dex is killed on impact. Anna manages to crawl out of the car, but she's on the side of the road in a snowstorm. There's no way she can walk to the hospital from here. And then Anna's memories split into two distinct paths. In one, someone pulls over and calls an ambulance. Anna is rushed to the hospital where she gives birth surrounded by doctors and medical staff. In the other, Anna lays in the snow, surrounded by women. There is the woman with red lipstick from the hospital when she thought she had her miscarriage. Women she remembers walking past on the street or seeing in coffee shops. And Siobhan is there too, in a blue baseball hat. And Siobhan asks for a favor. 
Because Anna's baby, her real baby, did die, but Siobhan brought it back as something a little bit more than human, something that was strong enough to be a vessel, a vessel for the soul of a witch. Because Siobhan is dying, and because she did this tremendous act of magic for her friend, it is only fair that her friend give her a new body, a new life, to live in. And Anna is not the only woman who's been confronted with this choice. Hundreds, thousands of women throughout history have been offered the same deal, a community of women, the reassurance that your baby will always be okay, as long as you give them this one small thing in return. As you can probably assume, Anna Victoria Alcott refuses to comment on which of these stories is the correct one. Maybe because it seems it should be obvious which one is the truth, and which one is the fiction. But what about all the other women who've recorded eerily similar offers by eerily similar women when they were pregnant? Women like Alice Parsons in 1648, Abigail Rowe in 1789, Better Anderson in 1833, Judy Marshall in 1957, Viviana Torres in 1978, Lucy Washington in 2007, and Raina Perkins in 2018. Thank you for listening to Reader, I Murdered Him. Today's episode was based on the book Delicate Condition by Danielle Valentine. This book is also the inspiration for the current season of American Horror Story and has been heralded as a feminist update to Rosemary's Baby. And while I love a good reimagining, I'm not sure we need to take every old school classic and give it a feminist reimagining, especially as there's nothing particularly feminist about Delicate Condition. The women in this book absolutely use and take advantage of each other just as much as the men in their lives do. But comparisons aside, Delicate Condition is an interesting pregnancy horror story, and Valentine does an excellent job of building tension and giving some truly chilling moments. Although I would have loved to see the witchcraft that anchors the ending of this book fleshed out a little more, especially when it came to the stories of the other women in the book that are featured in snippets between chapters. 
If you've read it and want to talk about it, come join the Goodreads book club or grab discussion questions for your own real-world book clubs. You can keep in touch between episodes by emailing me at readerimurderedhimpod at gmail.com or by following me on Instagram at the Stay at Home Creative. All of those links can be found below in the show notes. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening. And don't forget to come back next week for another episode of Reader I Murdered Him. At Salvis, Mr. Witt.